0: Computer initialize Hollow Suite. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sci Fi Feminist Podcast. It feels like ages since I recorded the last episode, but nevertheless, here I am. It's only been a week, (laughs) recording another exciting episode about feminism, popular culture, women, and representation. Today's episode is on a really exciting character and a contemporary heroine that I think we cannot leave out in discussions of female heroism in film, and that is Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road, played by Charlize Theron. Now, this is definitely one of my top five movies from the last decade. I really love this movie because it's basically one huge, long, big car chase. And I just love car chases. And then this entire movie is a car chase. And even more than that, it features one of, I think, the most subversive heroines that we've seen in the last 10 years or so, which is, of course, Furiosa. And also a very interesting storyline and um, a very satisfying end to the film too. So um, yeah, despite all of that, uh, the movie is also just crazy and apocalyptic and fun. And it's just, it's a really fun movie. And if you have not seen Mad Max Fury Road, I really highly recommend it. I think my favorite scene is um, when we have the guy with the guitar that's on the front of the car and he's just kind of playing guitar as all of the cars are driving and there's just flames and it's just crazy apocalypse stuff. So yes, today you can look forward to another very exciting episode. So without further ado, let me get into today's discussion about Furiosa. So before getting into discussion of Fury Road, I think it's worth briefly mentioning the old Mad Max movies. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen those. I think Mel Gibson is Mad Max, if I'm not mistaken. And there was the one, it was the third one, I think. It was called Thunderdome, in which Tina Turner also played. And um, I think that's my favorite one, because I just thought Tina Turner (laughs) was awesome in that movie. And, yeah, actually, I watched these movies when I was really young, thanks to my dad, who always showed me and my sister very violent movies <laughs> as we were growing up. But I think that maybe fostered my passion for um, <laughs> women and representation and popular culture. But, yeah, to be honest, I haven't seen the first three Mad Max movies in over 10 or 15 years. So shows you how young I was when I saw them, because I'm 27 at this stage. Um, But that's beyond the point. One of the things I remember most clearly, I can't remember from which one it was, it might have been from the third one, is um, this one guy has a boomerang, but the boomerang is also a blade. So when this uh, other guy tries to catch the boomerang, it just chops off his fingers and you see the fingers falling. And I was like, what is this? And um, yeah, of course, Fury Road takes all of these th- theatrics one step further. And um, like, like I said about the scene with the guitar, it is a very, I, I think I like these types of like totally ridiculous apocalypse type of movies. So um, to briefly mention the, kind of tone from the original Mad Max movies, or the first three ones. They're actually Australian movies, if you didn't know. And the first one was initially a really low-budget film, and at that time, Mel Gibson wasn't a very famous actor either. Um, but the movies really resonated with the, the the society in which it was released. And so they made the second and the third one, which obviously had bigger budgets. But basically Max is this lone hero type of guy. And as one theorist describes Max or the, the early Mad Max movies, her name is Belinda Duploy. I quote from her paper about. Mad Max Fury Road, she says the original Mad Max films are often read as an early signpost of the so-called millennial crisis in masculinity or a backlash against the gains of second-wave fem- feminism and even of misogyny. As Laurie Penny describes it, it is seen to represent violent masculinity as social disease and patriarchy as death cult. <laughs> (laughs) Okay, so, (laughs) sounds pretty terrifying. But, yeah, it's a very uh, patriarchal type of movie. The first um, really powerful woman that we see in the early Mad Max movies is played by Tina Turner in Thunderdome. I forgot the name of the character, but she's this tyrant kind type of woman, and she lets people fight against each other in what she calls the Thunderdome. So, but in line with... uh, general stereotypes about powerful women at that time which would have been like 80s 90s um, they are villainized first of all sexualized um, they're represented as kind of crazy over-the-top tyrants Uh, that is the type of representation that we see taking place then of course they are also at the end of the movie, killed or murdered or destroyed by the male hero of the film. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about Max today, but rather about the woman in the movie. So, then, of course, when we watch Mad Max Fury Road, it's a very stark contrast to what we see in the earlier Mad Max movies. What is very interesting about Fury Road is that the movie is titled Mad Max, but Furiosa is really the focus of the film. She's actually the main protagonist of the movie and I found that quite interesting because it's only about halfway or three quarters way through the movie when you realize that this movie is not actually about Max, it is actually about Furiosa and her quest to find the many mothers, which also has very clear feminist undertones, which I will get to, and she's also saving a bunch of other women from this very patriarchal tyrant. I must say, the villain in Mad Max Fury Road, it's very stark contrast to what we see in Thunderdome, (laughs) where we have this very sexualized woman, this matriarch as the main villain. Here we see this very obvious patriarch as the main villain of the film. So since we are on the topic of Max and Furiosa then, let us talk a little bit about their relationship. So, as you know in this film, what is very apparent is that we have a male and a female, both protagonists, but they do not fall in love. There is no romantic relationship between the two, but rather a spirit of camaraderie and helping each other, where they also don't try to one-up each other, but there's a very clear mutual respect between these two characters. Now, I will quote a few few things from what Belinda Duploy says about Mad Max Fury Road and the gender dynamic between Furiosa and Max. The first thing she says is, The gender dynamics of the fourth film are vastly different from those of the first three films. And it elicited much praise as well as criticism. So as you know, whenever you put a woman in a movie and she's the main protagonist and not the male who has been the hero of the movie for three movies before that, uh, there are some people who find problem with that. Uh, to move on to what Belinda Duplois says about their dynamic, she says the message is clearly about collaboration and cooperation as essential for the redemption of a world in which gendered inequalities and abuses of power remain deeply concerning obstacles. Now, this theorist even goes as far as to say that Max and Furiosa are traumatized mirror images or alter egos of one another. So, they are the aspects of the same subjectivity rather than oppositional binaries. So, if I understand this theorist's argument correctly, by the end of the paper, she suggests that Max and Furiosa being in a romantic relationship would be, like, literally impossible because they are actually one and the same person, they are kind of a mirror image of one another. They are not opposites, but they are basically the same, but um, different sides of the same coin. That's type of what she's saying. Now, of course, this argument uh, might have some issues too, because then, you know, what's the point of having a female hero if she's just Mad Max in disguise? Um, but I'm not going to get into this philosophical discussion of it. One more quote from this author I would like to uh, quickly cite here. She says Fairy Road is a movie about how men and women can be not just allies to one another, as if our fates were separate but real comrades who must overthrow a common enemy and share a common fate. Another theorist, his name is Martin Rixsen, he writes something similar. He says about Furiosa and Max's relationship that Furiosa does not act as Max's sidekick nor a romantic interest, but rather their relationship illustrates what can be accomplished when the sexes cooperate instead of insisting on acting independently of one another in infantile attempts to one-up each other. So, yes, like I mentioned too, uh, like Belinda Duplois says, a romanticized happily ever after between Max and Furiosa is impossible because for her, they are the same allegorical subjectivity. So, they are basically the same person. So, I guess in a very rudimentary way, you would say like, oh, she would be dating herself (laughs) if she was dating Max. Now, um... What does this mean for feminism? Well, this has to do with, I think... A very uh, a broader trend in feminism that tries to acknowledge men's responsibility in feminism and in empowering women. We of course know uh, what's her name Emma Watson. She's running the He for She campaign, which is what this is all about. Now I'm not sure if I agree with this or not. I don't think I'm gonna give my opinion on this, but this shows uh, how Fury Road really is produced in this type of society where this is taking place in the world. And I think it's quite refreshing to see this type of relationship between a male hero and a female hero. One thing that I found problematic about Gunpowder Milkshake, which is two episodes back, if you want to listen to that one, is that the men in the movie are really just there for the woman to kill. So they are really just there for the body count, which is problematic. Feminism is not about making men less, you know. It's about achieving gender equality. So I think in terms of that, this movie presents a very fresh take on male-female relationships. And I'm very curious to see what the next movie is going to be like, Uh, the next one about Furiosa, the next Mad Max movie. As I've read, I think it's going to be a prequel of Fury Road. So it would be very interesting to see what happens between Max and Furiosa in that one, if uh, if Max is even going to be in the movie. Now, yes, let me then move on to the next important aspect of about Furiosa and this definitely has to do with a broader trend in representation that we see and that is of course the fact that Furiosa is such a tomboy or such a desexualized uh, action heroine. So Martin Rick Sand, same theorist that said, um, that talked about Mad Max and Furiosa's romantic relationship. He says that Furiosa's sexuality is never emphasized and she lacks typically feminine traits and her clothing is functional but hardly embellishing, enhancing her masculine appearance. So he also says that um, her hair is short and then this makes her blend in with the macho culture of Fury Road's post-apocalyptic setting. So yes, like many action heroines we see these days, Furiosa is not this sexy bombshell but she's really desexualized. She really wears practical clothing. She's really not there for her sex appeal. <laughs> I think rather it's her toughness that makes her more appealing. Now, what is very, very interesting is we see the stark contrast between Furiosa and and then the women that she rescues, who are all basically like supermodels. <laughs> they are all these really ideal, beautiful women. Um, yeah, they really look like they walked out of a, a, a magazine catalogue or something. And um she's basically saving them or rescuing them from this patriarch that takes all the water for himself and that uses them as his um birth mothers. So they're literally just there to reproduce. They're literally just there to produce more children for this bad guy to use in, um yeah, whatever he does with the children. I think he uses them as workers. Yeah, sorry, I haven't watched the movie in a while, so... I even forgot his name, the bad guy's name. But um, we really see such a big contrast to like the ultimate oppression of women, which is literally just using women for their reproductive capacity and then keeping them locked up and they're not giving them any freedom or any choice and they just have to keep giving birth to babies. And then we also see... That they fit the idealized form of beauty, which is also an oppressive force. Maybe not so explicit, but definitely there's an implicit critique, I think, of beauty culture in this movie. Because, um, obviously, this movie has been criticized for, you know, having on the one side this heroine, which is Feriosa, who is very progressive, who really confounds the stereotypes, who's really tough, who's really desexualized. But then also including these women that all look like supermodels in these very, they they barely wear any clothes. They just kind of have these, I don't know, cloths around them. And we see their bodies and we also see that one scene where Max looks up and he looks at them and then... He sees them like splashing each other with water is very erotic, you know. Um, so we see this contrast. So this movie received some criticism because of that. But in my reading, I think the movie is smarter than just that. I think actually what the movie is doing by showing these women is actually showing a, an implicit critique of of Western beauty culture, of these types of representations of women. And we see how Furiosa, who is, uh, like I also argued about, the Black Widow, (laughs) she ultimately becomes the savior of women. She saves these women from their fate of being birth mothers for the rest of their lives. So maybe, and maybe this is a reach, or I'm reading too much into it, but bear with me, um, Maybe what this thing about Furiosa uh, shows is that this type of heroin, this desexualized, this tough, this uh, heroin that works together with a male hero without getting romantically involved, that maybe this is the save salvation of women in terms of popular culture and in terms of representation. She literally saves the women from their fate, but then also, uh, more implicitly, she presents us a different form of femininity, which is, I think, less oppressive than what we see in the representation of the birth mothers who are totally unattainable. <laughs> yeah. No one looks like that unless you're, of course, a supermodel, which is like less than 1% of the world. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you get my point. I hope, uh, I hope I'm explaining myself properly, but that's how I read it. So I don't see it as very problematic that we see those very stereotype typed birth mothers, but, um, I think the conversation that the movie sparks is much deeper than simply saying, oh, you know, there are these supermodels in the movie and that don't wear any clothes and that are only used for birth mothers. I think there's much more going on than that. Okay, and then the final aspect of the movie that I would like to point out is that Furiosa's main quest is is actually to find what is called the Many Mothers. So she is a descendant from them. Now, the Many Mothers are basically her hope for a future in the in this post-apocalyptic Fury Road world. Uh, so, and I've argued this about other contemporary heroines too, there is a clear emphasis on motherhood and mothers and matriarchy instead of patriarchy. These mothers are represented as the salvation of this deprived world that is ruled by this patriarch. And very importantly, they also have the seeds. So basically the whole movie, everything is a desert. (laughs) The only water is that which is held in the citadel. And um, the rest, it's all desert. So there's no plants growing anymore. It's really like uh, an apocalypse, you know. So... Then by having them have the seeds, you know, which represents life, rebirth, new things, um, prosperity, all of those things, they are the possessors of that. They are the ones that have the seeds. They are the key. You know, it suggests implicitly, of course, they are the key to the future world that is prosperous, that is fertile, um, where water is shared equally and not hoarded by one patriarch. So once again, we see that the salvation of humankind or maybe the salvation of women, but you know, it suggests that the salvation of all humankind is actually those older ladies, <laughs> the older women um, that ride their bikes and that have the seeds. It's also very interesting because it might be, and again, maybe this is a reach, maybe I'm reading in it too much, but there has recently been a lot of feminists that are going back to second wave feminism and looking back to what you would call the mothers of feminism, which is those that theorize the second wave, such as Simone de Beauvoir, Betty Friedan, uh, Shulamith Firestone, all of those second wavers, Um in feminist theory at the moment, too, there is a shift towards second-wave feminist theory and an embrace of that and um, a kind of rebirth of that. We also see that in pop culture. Um, if you've seen Mrs. America with Kate Blanchett, that whole series is literally about second-wave feminism. And then there's another one called The Glorias, which is a movie that is about second-wave feminism. And there was another documentary about second wave feminism, too. I think it was a Channel 4 documentary. I forgot the name. So, you know, in terms of this, we call it a zeitgeist, which is basically like the social context. In terms of the social context, it's then interesting that the salvation of humankind is represented as this bunch of older women. And especially the salvation for women is represented as this bunch of older women. And then also, interestingly, is that, as you know, most of them don't make it back. But when they do make it back, actually, Furiosa is the one that becomes the leader of the Citadel, or it is implied. And then it is implied that she will, you know... Manage the resources better. And then she's been given the seeds from the set, from the many mothers, which kind of suggests like, okay, you know, we set the foundation. We gave you the tools. We gave you everything. Now you go and run with this and you make the future, you know, with what you have learned from us. So there's a lot of, I think, you know, on the surface, we just see the story unfold. But deep down, if you know the current state of feminism, the current state of society, but especially the current state of feminism and feminist politics, this might really show what what feminism is currently doing. You know, first of all, seeing the salvation of womankind as these heroines that are desexualized, that don't conform to oppressive beauty norms, and also as these heroines going back to their roots, (laughs) quite literally, (laughs) their second wave feminist roots, which is really the feminist movement that set the foundation for feminist theory and feminist activism today. So, yes, a lot of interesting things happening in Mad Max Fury Road. Of course, you know, we still need to be critical. One theorist, I can't remember who, they suggested that, you know, it is implied at the end of the film that Furiosa will become the new leader, but we can't say for sure if she will be a better leader than the guy who was hoarding all the water for himself. You know, um... But I guess, yeah, that's why you need a sequel to see what happened after that. But we also can't assume that everything's okay now that a woman is at the seat of power. You know, that should also be approached critically. But that's something I don't want to go in too much. So, yes, that is my take on Mad Max Fury Road. I'm sorry for a short episode. Last week's episode was quite long. It was an hour long, so I thought I would keep this one short. This is just some theories that are going around about Mad Max Fury Road and, of course, some things that I have picked up on Mad Max Fury Road. And maybe in the future I'll do a more in-depth analysis of it because... There is quite a bit happening in the movie. But yes, I just wanted to give you a taste of Fury Road today. And um, I hope you can watch the movie if you haven't watched it already or watch it anyway, because it's such a wonderful movie. I think definitely I'm going to watch it again. And um yeah, if you have any comments or anything else to add to this discussion i would be very interested to hear it so yeah please hit me up in the comments on my youtube channel on instagram twitter or wherever you listen to your podcasts or watch the podcasts or whatever please um yeah hit me up let's start a conversation and also i'm gonna do some (laughs) self-promotion because I can. Um, I'm I'm selling some t-shirts on Teespring and TeePublic, and soon it will be on Redbubble, hopefully, if time permits it. So, yeah, head over there. It's all in my uh, links. So, yeah, head over there and um, get yourself a cool X-Files or Aliens t-shirt, if you like. If they shipped to South Africa, I would definitely have bought my own t-shirts, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, sorry about that. Right. So I'll sign off the podcast here. Thank you for listening once again, everyone. And I bid you a good week ahead. Next week, I already have a plan in mind. I think I will be talking about Laura Croft again. And let me tell you next week, what makes Laura Croft a fourth wave feminist action heroine? Yeah. You can look forward to an exciting episode next week too. Right. So keep safe. Live long and prosper, and then this is the sci-fi feminist signing off for now. Bye bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet preview program for the Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Yeah, so then he replays the last entry on the computer, and it's Janeway saying that they need to abandon ship. Uh. I have issue with this. Okay, Because it's, it's a captain's log, whatever. Mm-hmm. When is she ever, like, standing in front of a camera giving a captain's log? This is Captain Janeway for BBC News. <laughs> I mean, she's clearly on the middle of the bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's recording her at this point? Chakotay, get the emergency camera rig. <laughs> <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4. The Sci-Fi Feminist. A feminism and pop culture podcast. So... Um, she has makeup on, but it's bright red with black, like, eyeshadow and, like, long talon nails. And I'm so happy to see Cruella de Bull did have her talons, because even in the 101 Dalmatians film, something that's very prominent, oh, I think it's 102 Dalmatians, when she ch- turns back to an insane person, like, her shoulder pads come out of nowhere and her nails grow. And I'm just like, that's that's the female grotesque. Like, you take this normal woman who is feminine, and then you're like, doublets, <laughs> and then add talons.